0: Welcome to the Next Best Podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman, 24 years old, a former sheet metal worker, Mr. America and twice Mr. Universe, and Chris Daniels, Time Magazine even named him Person of the Century. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the Next Best Podcast. All right, Chris, here we
1: are back in the CNC podcast studio and some developments this week, uh, certainly on the hockey side, as we continue to get a little bit a peek into the future of what the arena is going to look like on the inside. I'm baffled, Chris. <laughs> See, I'm borrowing your terminology. And Very it, nice. You can read all about it at king5.com. You've been all over it this week. So, what's going on with the interior?
2: Well, it, it, it's been fascinating, some of these demonstrations that the Oakview Group and NHL Seattle have put on. I think uh quietly to the public uh, about what they're doing there at the new arena at seattle center site as you and i have talked about uh, there's been a lot of construction demolition that's already happened with the old like pro shop that's been torn down and the what was called the nasa building it was just storage and small departments all been torn down if you drive by seattle center now you'll see that i mean it's an active construction site They did a media tour uh, several days ago now, allowing us to go in and see it's kind of been stripped back. So what is it going to look like? It's not going to look like Key Arena. I think a lot of people have called this a renovation. (laughs) Because they're
1: keeping the roof. Yeah, you assume it's going to be an updated version of what we've already seen, but not the case.
2: No, not the case. The, The roof is stained, but the undercarriage, as I like to call it, is going to be dramatically different than what you see right now. And that's what was explained by the Oakview Group, by the the person that they have hired just for audio in the building, a lead engineer on sound. So they talk about this. The Pacific Science Center is part of a, a series that they're doing about the science of sports and entertainment. Uh, and some of the touches that they're doing and that leads us to the baffling yes baffling announcement they have been making it
1: quite clear which they have done since day one that in addition to sports they want this to be a world-class music venue they're saying this you know should rival new york this should be a very big deal and because of that they're kind of infusing some kind of new tech really
2: yeah funny enough they said they want to be number three i've never i've never heard anybody say that but the Oakview group vice president said, we want to be number three behind Madison Square Garden and the forum in terms of the experience for concerts in the country. And so they've gone in and they've done testing on the old key arena before they started tearing it apart. Uh, they've done testing at Madison Square Garden at the forum down in Inglewood, California, right. uh, about just the reverb, the echo that you hear when there's a, a band playing Which or was when there's I a hockey never- play.
1: Wanted to see concerts at the old arena because it was
2: just an echo chamber. It was several seconds long from the yeah. stage to certain people, according to the data that they showed. And and to your question about what's going to be different, uh, this lead engineer, Brian Elwell, that's uh, the lead sound and acoustic engineer, showed the public for the first time that they're going to hang something called vertical lapidary baffles from the roof of... The existing key arena in this new arena at Seattle Center, uh, and and where that comes into play, it's essentially like what we have in the CNC podcast studio here. Uh, These are buffers for the sound that will be seven and a half feet long, four inches wide. They'll be hanging from the roof, and why that uh, those measurements matter is the trusses are seven and a half feet wide. So essentially, these will be hanging and be the same length as the trusses and there'll be a buffer for that sound to absorb some of that that reverb and then there'll be acoustic ceiling panels kind of on the sides that will actually allow especially during hockey games that noise to reverberate and go back down uh, to the ice. It's also interesting in some of these designs uh-huh. by the way that they show kind of overhanging booths or suites. It's unclear really if that's going to be the the media area if the, or if those will be suites, but all told those changes are happening. And then one of the big things that I thought was uh, fascinating is there will be two curtains. So if you look at the designs as they stand right now, you'll notice that there's big glass paneling. That's going to be new glass It's thicker than what was already there for Key Arena to allow the sun to shine in. Uh, And it'll be louder then for hockey games. But for concerts, they'll have a couple of curtains. One will be hung to uh, shield the sun or shield the outside light. And then there will be another curtain... That will be seven feet away. That will be velour, as he described, uh, a custom acoustic curtain. Again, the idea to it's kind cut of that down crushed
1: velvet. Yeah, that'll yeah. absorb the sound and you can get rid of that echo and that kickback. Yeah, the walls. again,
2: uh, to to cut back on the the reverb. And so these are some of the touches okay. that uh, have have boosted that price to now nine hundred to nine hundred thirty million dollars on the overall cost of the facility. Of course, amongst this messaging was also
1: them saying that they do intend for this to be a premier music venue, which they've said all along, but I did see something where they referenced something about upwards of 80 dates a year, which is cool because you think, okay, wow, they're going to bring some big names to town. It's going to be a regular thing. Maybe this is where I'm going to start seeing all of the hottest concerts. However, I immediately had a reaction that a lot of the uh, internet reacted to, which was... Later,
2: he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it. And boom goes the dynamite.
1: Oh wait, that's not going to work with basketball, then. They, they, so the NBA's DOA, it seems like.
2: Well, yeah, you know, OVG's vice president of events, Don Graham, is the one who said that. It, it's been said before. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's been highly publicized. Uh, the seventy to eighty events a year. When Tim Lewicki was in town, he said he wanted to have like forty. I, I want to say it was. Right. I, I would have to look at the number again. Forty of uh, concerts out of the out of the gate when they open it in 2021 before the NHL even starts playing. So, yes, that is – I don't think they're hiding it. That is a big piece of their overall puzzle in terms of making back the return on the investment here is having 70 to 80 concerts a year that is essentially – like having an MBA and NHL franchise, when you think about it, right? Uh, in terms of the dates that you're filling in a building, well, and those are 80 dates, not yeah. counting the load in, load
1: out. That may be a day or two on the either side. So, uh, again, yeah, we we don't want to go too deep into what that might mean, but I did have to question the basketball efforts, and I was asking you if we've heard any rumblings from the Soto group because, at face value, I went, well, that's not necessarily bad news. Maybe that then gives the all clear for Chris Hansen, Russell Wilson, the actual number three in Seattle to say, you know what, now we've got our case, we can state this clearly to say we got to build this arena because we are NBA and that's all that's going to be there.
2: They are still tweeting, uh, tweeted this week okay. that they have a one-pager on you know what they think uh, their arena can do for the NBA, that they still believe they are viable, right. uh, and it sounds like they're still going to make a hard pitch in the city council elections uh, to try and get support for a street vacation, and I think that's well known now in city circles uh, that they are going to make that pitch. They're going to try and make it part of the election. So uh, they are claiming that they are uh, they're going to they're going to hold out. And Chris Hansen, his last time here in town at the Sports Star of the Year banquet, said, "Yes, they're going to hold out until the NBA comes back to Seattle." So to answer your, your question, yeah, it sounds like they're still alive mm. and kicking and uh, uh, trying to drum up support. Until the NBA gets back here to Seattle,
1: like Seattle traffic, the plot is thickening, Chris. Yes. But before we go, we have kind of a an exclusive here because we got a bit of a movie premiere happening in town, and it is related to the the hockey happenings.
2: I, I think this is it, it's interesting. You know, the, it's not an apples to oranges thing. Yeah. But but think about all the excitement around Ichiro and how different he was and the different type of game he played right. coming from Japan and. And, and there were a lot of people who wanted to find the next Ichiro after he played. The, this is a documentary about hockey and, and the different style of play between the Canadian brand and, and what those guys did in another country, uh, Russia. Uh, and so there's a documentary that is uh, going to be playing here in Seattle uh, that uh, kind of talks about that and the Detroit Red Wings in particular, and it's playing near the new arena at Seattle Center. All right, joined now by Joshua Reel. He's the director of The Russian Five. It's a movie that's going to whet the appetite of a lot of hockey fans who are anxiously waiting now for the NHL to come to Seattle. Joshua, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us about this movie. We, we know it's about the, the Red Wings, uh, but the, there's quite an interesting story about these these five from Russia.
0: Yeah, you know, when we set out to make this movie, you know, Jenny, my producer, one of the first questions that she asked me when I, I took it to her was, you know, what what is the story you're trying to tell here? And I said, I'm, I'm not trying to tell a hockey story. I'm trying to tell a story about... People who just happen to play hockey, right? So we really wanted to get into the background of what these five guys went through to come to North America, to leave the Soviet Union, get to Detroit, what they encountered when they came to Detroit, you know, the biases, you know, this was happening at the tail end, of the Cold War. So there's all that kind of baked into the story. And then obviously there is a great sports story within it. And, and through that, these guys all have to kind of learn how to, to be a team, and you know, not just Um, I mean, I in the locker room to really start to care for one another as brothers. And so I think that's, you know, something that's beautiful about the game of hockey, which is it really is of all the sports, like, in my opinion, the most team-centered sport
2: that there is. And and I know that there is a trailer that people can see out there on the internets on YouTube uh, about the style of play, that the style was different at that time. Can you explain that?
0: Yeah, so, you know, the North North American style at the time was sort of this, you know, dump the puck in and go rough each other up at the boards, fight for position, and then try to get a scoring chance. And, you know, the Soviets, you know, this goes back to the 60s when they really started to refine their game, played in more of a, you know, more of a collective type style where it was all about using your teammates finding open ice and passing to creating the scoring opportunities so you know when the Red Wings they had three young guys that had Fedorov and Konstantinov and Kozlov and they had basically drafted and it affected them and they brought in Scotty Bowman who you know Scotty Bowman's one of the greatest minds to ever be involved in the game of hockey and he knew the Soviet system you know he played or he coached I should say against these guys in the 60s and 70s and, and watched them torment his team's so we knew that if we went and got, you know, the two elder statesmen, Igor Larionov and Slava Petisov and added them to the mix, that these these five Russians could start playing their game, this puck possession style, in the NHL, which now has really become what everyone tries to play. You know, it's it's. Passing, getting the puck out of your zone through strong defensive passing and then controlling the tempo of the puck. So, you know, these five Russians changed the course of the NHL history through, through their style. And, you know, the film kind of explores that and explains, you know, how they came to be and what happened once they started playing and how their influence really started to go through the entire Red Wings roster. It wasn't just the five Russians playing puck possession by the time the Wings won the Stanley Cup. It was the whole team.
2: And you see a lot of Red Wings jerseys even on the West Coast nowadays. But, I mean, this was the the management taking a a chance at the time. I mean, this was not one of the premier franchises before these guys came.
0: No, I mean, you know, when Mike Illich bought the team in 1982, they were the dead wings, right? And they, they were just terrible. And so, you know, they got Steve Eiserman in 83, and he immediately made them better. But they didn't have a team around Eiserman. And so in 89, you know, Devolano and his scouting staff they knew that they weren't getting enough good players quickly, um, you know, by drafting North Americans. So in 89, they really went out of the box. And, you know, first in the third round, they drafted Nicholas Lidstrom, who became one of the greatest defensemen ever out of Sweden. Um, but then in the fourth round, they took the highest Russian ever drafted at that point, which was Sergei Fedorov, who we all know turned into one of the best two-way forwards in the game of hockey. And then in the 11th round, which they don't even have an 11th round anymore, they drafted Vladimir Konstantinov, and at that point, it was just sort of like, oh, this guy's never going to come, but let's get him on our board. Maybe things will change. They'd come to find out in the, you know, the next year that Vladdy really wanted to come to the NHL, but he wouldn't come to North America unless he could bring his family along. You know, and That was something a lot of these Russian players had to have concern about, which was if I go to... NHL, if I go to North America, what's going to happen to my family? So for Vladimir Konstantinov, he wouldn't leave until the Red Wings assured him that they were going to bring his wife and two, three-year-old daughter at the time over as well.
2: Well, you mentioned Stevie Eiserman. Uh, I think there were some people holding out hope here that that he was going to be the GM of the new Seattle franchise because of his ties with Todd Leitwicki. Obviously, he's now coming home, so to speak, to Detroit full circle uh, on uh, this story. Somewhat, uh, why do you think this movie will appeal to to folks in Seattle?
0: You know, I go back to when we played SIF last year, right? So, you know, we're so grateful that the the SIF programmers took a chance on us because, you know, yeah, you're getting an NHL team, but, you know, it – who knows how this movie's going to respond? And we were top five in in audience documentary voting out of 50 documentaries. So obviously the audience responded well. And I think what they're responding to is, again, it's, yeah, there's hockey in it, but it's more a story about humans and and what we all go through when we're trying to achieve something great, which is you got to come together. You got to put aside your differences. You got to all pull in the same direction for that big goal. And I think you know that's what's been resonating with audiences—not just at SIFF in Seattle, but across the country as we rolled out this film. You know, we've had sold-out screenings in Scottsdale, Arizona, and even Colorado, which is the enemy in the film. You know, we got held over for a second week in Denver. So, you know, audiences are responding to the fact that this is a human story about this really unique time in both the hockey history but also you know world history as the soviet union was starting to fall apart and things were starting to open up a little bit these five guys had an opportunity to come to america and show america you know what their skills were and and, and improve our game in the nhl
2: joshua real is the director of the russian five which you can see here in seattle over the next week joshua thank you thank you so that's playing for the next week uh, over at the SIF Center, which is adjacent almost to the new arena site. So, yeah, check it out. Sounds like, I mean, the, the YouTube clip, the trailer is great. Uh, and I think if you're a hockey fan, you'll be excited about seeing it.
1: Hockey fans, that's the very latest. Basketball fans, what do you think? Let's talk about it on the social side.
0: On Twitter and Instagram, and Next Best Part. That's
2: the worst name I ever
0: heard. This is the exclusive ending of the next best podcast.